could not sing like that till she married into the Wolfenbarger family. <laughs> Nobody from North Carolina could sing like that unless they married to a Wolfenbarger. There ain't no doubt about that. Boy, what a beautiful song. What a wonderful, wonderful message. I want you to take your Bible today very quickly because I need to hurry. And I want you to turn to John 17, if you would please. We continue our series of messages through the book of John entitled, Why Christianity is Special. Of all the religions and all the faiths, uh, I just believe that Christianity is uh, head and shoulders above everything else. And today I have a good reason why I feel that to be so. In John 17, I want to remind you that what has taken place in the context of where we are. In John 13, 14, 15, Jesus is in the upper room known as the Last Supper, his last time with the disciples. In approximately six to eight hours, our Lord is going to go to the cross and there be crucified. He already knows about Pilate's hall. He already knows about Judas. Uh, denying him in the garden. He already knows about the beatings and the cruel mockings and the persecution. He already knows about the cat of nine tails. It's not here yet, but he knows that. And all of that is going to transpire in the few hours that is left between him leaving the upper room, he and his 11 disciples, and they're on their way to the garden of Gethsemane. They're, they're making the walk, the stroll from Gethsemane. And as they're walking along, probably the disciples could be weary. Uh, they could be anticipating what was going to transpire. Perhaps they were milling over in their mind, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Perhaps they were maybe thinking as they made the walk with Jesus uh, about the mansions. Or they could have been talking about, in this world you shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And I, I don't know what the disciples are thinking as they walk along with the creator of the world the sustainer of everything that you and I see. He who cares about the smallest sparrow that falls in yonder forest, he who knows the hair on your head are the ones that used to be there. <laughs> the 11 men are walking with omnipotence, majesty beyond all description the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. I don't know what they're thinking, but as they stroll along and they are watching him very attentively, all of a sudden he stops 
and begins to pray. His longest prayer recorded is John 17. It is the Lord's high priestly prayer. In verse 1, the Bible said that he was praying to the Father. But I beg you to listen just a minute. He was not only praying to the Father, he was praying for the disciples' benefit. He was teaching them by example. And I don't know what went on in their mind. But if you would please gather your thoughts around this very tender and intimate time in our Lord's life. Maybe stand alongside one of the disciples and listen as he says, verse 6. Father, I have, mag- I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and I have kept them, and they have kept thy word. What do you think is going over in the disciples' minds? As he, the lonely figure there, stops and kneels to pray. In verse 7, he says, Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given them, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them. Have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst sit me. I pray for them. I can hear Peter whisper to John, What did he say? I pray for them. Eleven, born again. Blood-bought children of God. From every walks of life, fisherman, tax collector, physician, you name it. And Jesus stops for just a minute and says, I pray for them. Did you know that you've got somebody praying for you today? If you're a child of God? If you've been bought and purchased and received Jesus Christ. I don't know why people call me and ask me to pray for them when you got him praying for you. I think he can get through a little bit quicker than I can. I think there's a lot of things I got to get out of my life before I get there. He's got none of those. Notice, I pray for them. Now, what's he praying for? Please be very cautious, very careful now. Let's see what Our Lord is concerned about these 11 disciples. Those folks he's taught and trained for three and a half years. Those folks he's loved so much that he went to Calvary to pay their sin debt. I pray for them. What is our Lord praying so intently for we 
who are saved. I pray for them. Are you with me? Please wake up now. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them are lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath Hated them. Because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world. Do you see a word that keeps popping up here? Is there any word that maybe has just popped up two or three times? As Jesus is praying for his own, he must think there might be some danger, some temptation, some some allurements that might attract them away from the devotion and the love that only belongs to God. Let's go on. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. But thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world. Do you see a word that keeps popping up there anywhere? They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word. Is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Could I talk to you today about the Christian's relationship to the world? Now, the reason we got sheep up there is because that's the only picture Andrew could find. And besides that, he was probably up late watching the ball game. And he thought that would be a good picture of a bunch of Christians that's in this world. The Bible has much to say about the world 
and Christians and their relationship to the world. You say, preacher, the subject is not important enough to spend any time on. Jesus thought that it was so important that in his very last prayer to God for every born-again child of God is that Jesus might pray and ask the Father to keep us safe in the world. And the reason we have got sheep up there Please understand this. Don't get mad at me. Because that's the dumbest animal in the world. Except maybe some of the cows I got out of the ranch. I think a cow is just a whole lot of dumb wrapped up in a hide. But God refers to us who are saved over and over again as sheep. And I think that's a, a, a good picture that, that illustrates that sheep need a leader. Sheep are attracted to what's across the fence. Now, I don't know any Christians that is attracted to what's Outside defense. But Jesus is praying this prayer to keep us on the right side of the fence. And he's given this illustration. I wish I could talk to you a little bit about the world. Uh, the word world is the word cosmos. I know that means a lot to you. And it's used in several and sundry ways. Sometimes the word cosmos is used to describe in the New Testament the place, the creation of God, the world in which we live. The Bible says in John 1.10, he was in the world, referring to the world, but he was not of the world. He was in the created cosmos, but he was not of the spirit and the system of lost mankind. So when Jesus talks about the world, and over and over again he talks about it, did he not? He talked about the world and in the world, not of the world, keep them from the world, the evil in the world. He talks about that. And so before he went back to heaven, he wanted to talk to the Lord, but I think somebody, 11 guys, was standing there listening. Do you think maybe they're listening to the Lord pray? And I think maybe he was not only asked God to keep them, but he was kind of warning them of the evil that went on in the world. And if it be all of you, uh, I'm looking at the clock. Uh, but they got a countdown. Let me show you something. Got a Bible? Look in Exodus chapter eleven, verse seven. Let me show you something that I'd like to like to make a a, a, a point here. Exodus chapter number eleven and verse seven. And I want to I want to show you that God makes a difference in this situation. In Exodus chapter eleven and verse seven, 
We are saved and we are living and associated with the world, with the creation, with the philosophy of the world, with the system of the world. Over and over, the Bible warns us about the evil of the world. Peter tells us to be careful of the wisdom of the world. The Bible talks about not being conformed to the world. You, you know what it's talking about? It's not talking about the birds and the bees. It's talking about a system of humanity that is controlled not by human power, but by the demons and the devil of hell. And Jesus is warning them, but asking God to help. Please let me notice something. In verse 7, look in your Bible. Exodus chapter number 11, verse 7. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue. Against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. In the center column of your Bible, it's probably got a letter over the word difference. And that could be translated just as well as separation. God's people have always been, in the mind of God, a different people. A separated people. In fact, sometimes you've been called peculiar. A peculiar people. And I think today, the first thing I'd like to leave with you is this thought. The Christian is to be separated from the world. Please notice verse 6. In your Bible now, in the book of John, chapter 17, I am not saying that a Christian should be uh, in a, as a hermit, secluded someplace in a, mo- in a monastery, uh, you know, not able to talk. I'm not talking about uh, seclusion. I'm not talking about isolation. I'm talking about verse number six. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Do you understand that? Out of the world. Now I wonder why our Lord would want Christians to come out of the world. Is there some type of danger to a Christian that maybe some of the world might rub off on them. That's where we get the term worldliness. Now, I don't know how you would determine whether you are worldly or not. But I remember years ago, I read this in a joke book. It said... If one man calleth thee a donkey, payeth him no attention. But if two men calleth thee a donkey, buyeth thee a saddle. (laughs) 
God does not want his children living like, thinking like, talking like, looking like, smelling like, drinking like, going like what you used to before you got saved. You have been called out of the world. That does not mean that you're better than the world. It means you are to set a godly example for somebody who's in the trash can of this world, who is wrapped up in drugs, wrapped up in alcohol, and there's no way out. And the only thing he sees is just another trash can to sleep in tomorrow night. Maybe he could look at us and say, bless God, there's hope. Christians need to learn to smile. My dear Lord, we're on our way to heaven. Our sins are gone. Calvary's paid our price. And so what if the wife is mad? McDonald's still sells number twos with extra fries. Glory to God. Separation is not something that we should dread. And separation is not something we should uh, 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 be leery of. Separation is what God wants us to do. Come out of the world. Because I just believe with all my heart, salvation makes a difference. My Bible said, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I just believe that when you come to Christ and you embrace Christ through faith, you're a different individual. You say, preacher, you ought not to yell. I'm trying to get your attention. You said, I don't like people yelling at me. Neither do I. So if you'll get saved, I'll quit yelling. I just believe that salvation makes a difference. And I believe that Scripture demands a difference. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Oh, you need to see this. Second Corinthians chapter number 6. Oh, dear Lord. I just believe the Lord knew what he was talking about when he knelt along the way. And I just see him now. Those that thou gavest me out of the world. We'll go over here and sit down with Peter a minute. Peter, what do you think he meant by out of the world? Do you think he meant we're going to go to heaven today? What do you think he meant? I know. Look at you. You don't know what he meant either. (laughs) Hey, these guys are listening. Out of the world. What's he talking about? Out of the world. Saved. Here. In the world. But out of the world? Does anybody here believe the Bible? Verse 14. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 6. Anybody here believe the Bible? If you believe the Bible, say amen. Amen. Uh, If you believe it's written for you, say amen. Amen. Verse 14, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
You don't need to be a rocket scientist to understand that. Why? You know why? Because unbelievers are going to rub off on you. You say, well, I know what I'll do. I'll marry somebody that's lost and I'll get them saved. Good luck, slick. I sure hope that works out, but if you don't, my office is open. <laughs> you come see me and we'll spend a little time talking about being saved. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's what the Bible says. I, I'm sorry I didn't write it, just preaching it. Uh, and for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now, I'm saved. And Peter over there, he's not saved. I'm saved. He likes to listen to dirty jokes. And somehow or another, when I got saved, my taste for ugly, ugliness. Somehow, I don't know why, but it just disappeared. Now, me and old Peter over there, he's lost. You can tell, look at him. He looks lost. Now, I look saved. Don't I look saved? Now, I'm going to try to fellowship a little Peter over here. He's lost. What's the great thing Jesus did on the cross, wasn't it? He said, yeah. You know, I heard a joke the other day about that. Now, you tell me. What's me and him got to talk about? If I'm saved, on my way to heaven, forgiven, and he's still lost. What communion, what communication can we have? Put a married wife and a lost husband, and the very thing that strengthens your home, and that's communication, is gone. Because you guys are living on two different levels. Come out. I, I don't have time to read it all. Verse 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with the idols? For you are the temple of the living God. People who are saved are the temple. The Holy Spirit actually lives within our hearts. I will dwell with them, walk with them, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, because of that, Come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and be a God and be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. For some reason, Jesus was concerned about the disciples' relationship with the world. He said, come out. Secondly, I've only got 42 points today. The Christian is not only separated from the world, the Christian is situated in the world. Look at me. Do I look like I'm not having fun in the world? 72 and I can still do two jumping jacks. I got a couple of guys over here a while ago. I hit their shoulder. It was just like hitting concrete. I said, go ahead and take a punch. <laughs> oh, I didn't say that, right? I just said concrete. Hey, guys. I've called you out of the world. But I've situated you 
in the world. But a couple of verses down through there, if you'll notice something, a couple of verses in verse 14, he says, you're not of the world. Verse 16, you're not of the world. You're just in the world. Could I give you the problem? The problem is not Christians in the world. The problem is the world gets into Christians. I need Brother Watson, say amen, would you? You can order eggs louder than that, Brother Watson. Get the drift. Situated in the world. But our problem, and Jesus knew, our problem was not us situated in the world. Our problem was is when the world got into us. And we begin to march to the drumbeat of the world. We begin to dance to the world's music. We begin to watch the world's filthy movies. And now we are tolerant because when that was a sin, we were old-fashioned. Now it's growth and maturity and it's tolerance. No, it's sin. Amen. And that is going to take you from an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. We are separated from the world, situated in the world, and the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Jesus said, love not the world, neither the things in the world. The love of the world is in you. The love of the Father is not. Oh, how we must be careful. You remember Paul penned this. Demas has forsaken me. You know the rest of it? Having loved this present world. Look around you today. Our membership is probably 2,500 or more. Wonder where they are. You say, well, they just don't love God. No, no, no. I think they love the Lord. Well, they just, the problem, they're not saved. No, no, no. I don't think that's the problem at all. I think they've got a love affair going on with the world. Come on now. By the way, some of you folk getting kind of scarce every once in a while. And I know you're not an evil, bad person. It's just... That maybe you've got a love affair going. And I want you to know something today. That if we're not separated from the world. Situated in the world. And I want you to notice this third thing. That a Christian is spited by the world. The Bible says in verse 14. The world hates you. The world hates you. If you don't believe me, start carrying a Bible and see how many friends starts peeling off. Stop doing what you did before you got saved and see if your 
Worldly friends won't try to suck you back down by shaming you. What's wrong? You think you're better than me because you don't want to drink that booze or sniff that line or run around on you. What's wrong? You think you're better than us? What they'll try to do is shame you because they hate you. Did you know in verse number 14, the Bible says plainly, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Isn't that what it says? Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, I want you to think about something. It's 1157. I'm just so close to done, you'd think that I didn't even start. Let me tell you what you've got if you're loving the world. You are in a love and hate relationship. If you love the world or what you're doing more than you love God and your church, you are in a hate and love relationship. Now, how do those usually pan out? They usually pan out in my office with a woman looking at me and said, I hate that guy's guts. And he says, I just love her like a queen. What a relationship. I pay, pay, give and give. And she takes and takes and takes. I've been sleeping on the couch so long now and I haven't been eating so much chicken. Up at Quick Chicken, there's feathers going out underneath the bumper of my truck. But I just love her. And she says, I hate your guts. Every time you touch me, my skin crawls. I wonder what kind of atmosphere is at the house when the doors close. See, you think... You got the world by the tail with a downhill pull. When the world is moved from the outside on the inside. And now, no longer are you situated in the world. But now the world that hates your guts is inside you. And tearing every relationship, credit cards up to the ears. Spend to try to keep the world happy. And I want you to know, I want you to know, the world's going to laugh at you. You say, not me, buddy. I got him made. Five seconds after God pulls the cork and your breath is gone. Where's the world going to be? When you're standing in the hand of an omnipotent God. Jesus knew his disciples were just like us. And had a tendency to let the world rub off. And let the world get in. A Christian's relationship should be one of separation. Situated. Spited. And then... You know, this thing of Christianity is kind of crazy. 
Look at verse 17 and 18. This just this, this blows my mind. The evil world, a hateful world, damaging and hurtful. And then Jesus said, verse 17, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. What for? Verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Why are you here? Forty-six years ago, when I knelt at my couch in Farmer's Branch, Texas, there on my knees, I did not know one verse in the Bible. I was a hell-raising, fighting, drinking, rooster-fighting, coon-hunting, redneck. If you've ever seen one in your life. And I knelt at my couch, and I repented of my ugly, dirty sins. And wept my way by faith into the graces of our Lord. And he saved me that night. Honest, I knelt a hell-bound sinner. And I stood up a heaven-bound saint. Not perfect, just forgiven. Amen. Amen. Why didn't Jesus just take me to heaven that night? And just consummate the whole deal and move me right into glory. Why did I have to go through all the difficulties and the hardships and the sorrow and the hurt for 46 years? Because there's some other folk that's in the world, guys. And you are their only hope. Every person in the world that is born of human parentage is born a sinner. Separated from God. And our Lord is going to the cross to provide a way so that every sinner in the world could come back into fellowship and relationship with God. He's going to pay sin's debt. Now get this. And Father, these 11 guys, sanctify them. Set them apart for me. Use your word, your truth, to set them apart Because these 11 men, the hope of the world is in these 11 men. If anybody gets saved beyond this point, it'll be because of these 11 men. God has a plan. It has not changed. It will never change. He did not take me out 46 years ago because in the mind of God, 
he saw you sitting in a pew where this Tennessee redneck can't even spell valedictorian. I just hired mine when I graduated from college and then fired him because he was a lazy deadbeat. But God looked down through the 46 years of time and saw that sinner being saved 46 years ago standing and preaching to you the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that somebody loves you more than anybody in the world. And to share with you, especially you today, the good news that Jesus saves. Why didn't he take me to heaven 46 years ago? Because these boys and these girls needs a godly example in their life. And as the Father has sent me, So send I you. You are to be separated, situated, spited, and sent by the Lord Jesus. Where? Into the world. That's our relationship with the world. I don't know if this is true or not. I know one thing it's true. It's 1206. A salesman one time lost a big sailing deal. John, you ought to relate to this. And the salesman came to his boss after losing this big sale and looked at the manager and lamented and said, Well, I guess that proves that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. The manager replied, son, if you take my advice, your job is not to make him to drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. My job today is not to save you. My job today is to make you thirsty for what a gracious, loving God wants to do for you. To forgive you, to save you, and to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And build you a mansion on Hallelujah Boulevard and on the mailbox. Your name. Reserved in heaven. Uncorruptible. Undefiled. Waiting for you to get there. The story is told, an ancient legend about Jesus' ascension into heaven. And Jesus is met by the angel Gabriel as he walks in. And he said, now that your work is finished, Gabriel said, what plans do you have to ensure that the truth of the gospel will be spread throughout the world? Jesus answered, well, I've called some fishermen, tax collectors, 
to walk along with me, and I did my father's will. And you know about them, Gabriel said, but what other plans do you have for all of humanity to be saved? Jesus replied, I taught Peter, James, and John about the kingdom of God, and Thomas about the faith, and all of them that was healed, and I preached to multitudes. Gabriel replied, but what about plan B? If plan A don't work, Jesus quietly whispered to Gabriel, I have no other plans. I'm dependent on them. As the Father sent me, even so send I you.